0: Good morning everybody, Uh, as we settle down I thought I'll just give you a bit of insight into how things work with our past being here, so you wouldn't mind me telling you. Uh, So about 10 weeks ago I came, or I wouldn't say I came, I think Campbell invited me to review the first draft that I did of Psalm 40, and this was I think the Wednesday before the Sunday. And at the end of that meeting, I was a bit wrecked because he suggested to me there's way too much content in it. I need to take half of it out. Really, there's two sermons there, not just one. So I wasn't just worried about the coming Sunday, I was worried about the second service that he was talking about, the second servant, <laughs> and that I'm going to have to prepare for that as well. And so this is that second servant. Um, But this time we caught up yesterday morning and that only gave me one day and the same thing happened there was too much stuff in there some of it was taken out which again he suggested this might be another sermon so my apologies there's a picture of sparrows on the newsletter and I confidently told that to Libby on Friday morning I've got this bit about sparrows, it's great, please put a photo of it. Uh, So you're not going to hear of the sparrows this morning, (laughs) maybe sometime in the future. Um, So I also just wanted to take a minute to talk about mercy and grace this morning before we get started on Psalm 40. And it's probably best described if I use a very simple example. So all of my children are here. They wouldn't mind me using one of them. I wouldn't say which one. But let's say your your child is, is disobedient. And once the disobedience is exposed, the only thing left is the consequence to decide how you're gonna deal with this disobedience. So, in our case, let's say the son is, Brigitte's off her hook. Let's say the son is sent to his room and say, wait for me there. And a little while later, I would walk up to the room and both of us know what needs to happen. There's a consequence here and I know as a father, I need to deliver the consequence because that is what, what love demands. But as I walk into the room, he looks at me with teary eyes and says that he's sorry. So I could see a lot of the, a lot of the youngsters smile because they know exactly what this feels like. And so he says that he's sorry. He knows that what he's done is wrong He's thought about it because he's had this little time spending in his room, and he's really sorry. But at the same time, he's also asking me to consider not to punish him. And so he's asking for forgiveness with a really sorry heart. And as a father, that really touches my heart. His contrition really talks to me. And so, in this instance, I decide not to punish him. So he gets away this time without punishment. And that is mercy. So he's received something that he didn't deserve. He knew he needed to be punished, but yet he asked, please consider not punishing me, but if you do, I know that's the right thing to do. And so not to punish, that is mercy. Mercy. Grace, on the other hand, is if I then decide to take him for an ice cream. (laughs) So we've just been through this whole thing, and because I want to use the opportunity to teach, I then go a step further, and after just overseeing his punishment, I'm now giving him something that he totally doesn't deserve. Ice cream. That is grace. So a lot of what Psalm 40 brings to the surface distills down to these two concepts, mercy and grace. And so mercy in our Christian life is Christ delivering us from judgment. He's not punishing us, although we know we deserve punishment. And that is salvation. He's saving us from that punishment. Grace is the Lord giving us good blessings, even though we don't deserve it. He extends his kindness to unworthy people. So please keep those two words in mind as we continue to go through Psalm 40. The Lord's mercy and the Lord's grace. So on Sunday, 25 August, I, we talked through Psalm 40 and the first 10 verses. And to do that, I will do a quick recap of what we discussed. We started by looking at David's life to help us put Psalm 40 in context. And we said that David was born as the youngest son of Jesse from the tribe of Judah. Uh, David first... Um, gained prominence uh, playing the harp for King Saul. David was a shepherd. Um, But at the age of 19 or 20, David stepped forward and he killed the enemy champion, Goliath. And he very quickly became King Saul's favourite and also a very close friend of his son, Jonathan. But Saul became jealous of David and he turned against him and King Saul tried to kill him personally twice and then King Saul instructs his armies to hunt David down and in their pursuit of David uh, King Saul's armies destroyed countless villages and many innocent people died in King Saul's pursuit of David and so David spends approximately 10 years of his life fleeing from King Saul and he's in exile until about the age of 30 he is uh, crowned as king. So we, we saw that through David's life he at a very early age learned to rely on the mercy and the grace of God. Through everything from his life where he faced the the wild animals guarding the the sheep um, through all the trials and the anxieties of fleeing from Saul and being in their clutches so many times, but then escaping. There's no doubt that David learned um, that the only thing he could rely on is the Lord's grace and his mercy. And so in verse 1 and 2, we saw the three words that unlocked the whole psalm. And it's words that us as Christians don't like. It's terrible words for us sometimes. David says he waited patiently. And waiting patiently is not something that we naturally do well. It's difficult. And we saw in verse um, 3 and 4 that David confirms that it was the Lord that gave him the words to praise him. It's the Lord that gave him understanding and we also looked together at Isaiah 64 verse 4 where it says that it, the Lord acts on behalf of those who wait for him so we looked at that verse to confirm why is David waiting patiently because he knows the Lord acts on behalf of those who wait on him we also saw that David was placed On a firm footing, he was placed on the rock, and we saw that that rock is indeed Jesus Christ. Verses 5 to 8, David recalls the number of times that the Lord has worked wonders in his life. And he realizes that it's too many to even mention. And we also saw in these verses that the words sacrifice offering and sin offering refers to our Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus was our sacrifice. His blood was offered on the cross for us and He was our sin offering. And then in verse 9 and 10, David confesses that he knows that it's the Lord that rescued him. And he remembers this and he says his heart is full and he tells everybody. So the first 10 verses Um, of Psalm 40 is a song of praise and remembrance to the Lord for everything that he has done and how he's rescued David. And what helps David in waiting patiently is as he remembers all the wondrous works the Lord has done, it builds trust in the Lord's nature. And because David remembers how many times the Lord has saved him, he has trust that the Lord in the future will act, because he has in the past. And because he has this trust, it gives him hope. And that expectant hope allows him to wait patiently. And that is where we got to from the first 10 verses of Psalm 40. We got a glimpse or an insight into the heart of David and how he's approaching the Lord in his prayer. And so now we get to verse 11. And from here on, the psalm changes tone as David brings his current predicament or his current problem before the Lord. So please read with me from verse 11. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. And we have to stop here again and look at the first few words that David utters here. Do not withhold. What does those few little words say to us about where David's at in his hard condition before the Lord? When he says do not withhold, he's saying a lot more than that he's confessing that he knows that the Lord does not have to give mercy. The Lord is not compelled to give mercy. Remember, mercy, we said, is not punishing us for what we deserve. So David knows that he deserves something different. But he starts off by saying, Lord, please do not withhold your mercy. So it shows that he's got the right understanding of what mercy is and who the Lord is. He's not coming with any presumption that God owes him anything because he's suffered for God. Somehow God needs to give him something in return. There's none of that. David purely says, Lord, do not withhold your mercy because I know that you don't have to give it. You are not compelled to give mercy because if he is compelled, then it's not mercy anymore. So we see just in those first few words, again, his heart condition. David comes before the Lord, but he makes sure that he understands who he is before the Lord. And we'll see how important this is as we continue to go through. And so, maybe this is a good question for you this morning. Is do you put the time in? So, remember, we are in verse 11 now. So, David uses the first 10 verses to remember that he trusts in the Lord and that he hopes, and because of that, he can wait patiently. So, he's really building 10 verses. To come humbly before the Lord in verse 11. So we can nearly say that he's doing a lot of work to prepare his heart and to make sure that he approaches the Lord in the way that the Lord wants us to. To be humble without presumption of anything. Verse 12. For troubles without number surround me. My sin have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. It's good that Tom read from, I think, the King King James or New King James, because it translates troubles without number as innumerable evils. So, So David here says, innumerable evils are surrounding me. And in the second line, he turns and looks inwards and says, my sins have overtaken me. So he realizes there's two things at work here. The evil in the world is surrounding me, Lord. He's saying, have mercy. Protect me. And then he moves on to say, what is it that he needs mercy from? What is it that he needs protection from? And he declares, evil is all around me. But more than that, my sinfulness has overtaken me. And he expands on that a bit more and says, that it's more than the hair on my head. And my heart fails within me. Now we are born with about 100,000 hairs on average. And if you have dark hair like me, when you grow to be an adult, it gets to about 110,000. But if you're blonde, you grow to about 150,000. So it explains why blondes have a bit more going on upstairs. (laughs) But for some of us, unfortunately, as we grow older, this produces back down again. And in some cases, to nothing. But David uses this analogy. It's a colorful explanation, but it's to give us an idea that it's impossible to sit and count the hairs on your head or even on somebody else's head. And he's saying that although the evil is surrounding him, his sin is overcoming, his sin is uncountable. So David is not coming to the Lord saying, it's the evil world's fault. It's Satan's fault. He's also not saying it's just his flesh. He's, he's presenting all of this and saying, Lord, I've been snared by all of it. I'm overwhelmed. My heart fails within me. And, and another way to say that is my abilities are failing me. I've come to the point where I realize that I cannot do this. I've tried, but I'm failing. And it's very clear that David is not here saying that he's trying, Lord, I need a little bit of help. No. David's very clearly saying, I've failed. He's not saying he's standing on the edge of the cliff, Lord, help me not to fall off. He's saying, I've fallen it's beyond me i've fallen he's also not saying that he's struggling to keep his head above water and that he needs the lord's help he's saying lord i'm at the bottom of the of the sea i'm drowned so he's he's clearly saying that none of his ability is at play here and when he pleads for the lord's mercy it's not based on anything that he does So his ability is not part of the equation. He's purely pleading on the Lord's mercy. Again, can you see how this amplifies that he understands who he is and he understands who the Lord is? So perhaps you've felt like this. Perhaps you are in a place similar to what David is describing. A place where you feel evil is all around you. A place where you feel that your sin is more than the hair on your head. Your sins are 110,000 and more. Other people around you are disapproving of what you're doing. Maybe there's... Family hurt, maybe there's sickness that have been wearing you down over time. Maybe you feel overwhelmed at times. And something we can take from just this one verse is that it's okay to feel overwhelmed. It's actually human to feel overwhelmed. In the nature that we live and the sinfulness that we have. We can nearly say that it's impossible not to feel overwhelmed at some stage. Here David is. He's had the courage to fight lions. He's had the courage to fight a giant. But he comes before the Lord and says that he's overwhelmed. Do you see how the two is total opposites? and let's see how he continues to deal with this condition of being overwhelmed so verse 13 be pleased to save me lord come quickly lord to help me again david uses words that explains his understanding of the nature or the attribute of the lord he says be pleased In other words, it's the choice of the Lord to have mercy. He doesn't command the Lord or anything like that. He says, be pleased. So it's it's not a recipe. It's not a, if I do this, the Lord will do that. And I think of the prosperity gospel is a good example of how the promises of the Lord in the Old Testament is used as a recipe. If I do this, the Lord will bless me in that way. And this is not how grace and mercy works. Because when you do that, you take mercy out of it. Because then it's not mercy anymore. So David says, be pleased to save me, Lord. And he adds, come quickly. So in this overwhelmed situation that he's in, his humanness comes through. And he says, Lord, I know I've been waiting patiently, and you've helped me before, and I've got this trust and hope in you. But come quickly, because it's painful here where I am. In this broken state that I'm in, it's pain. And so I know all of us can resonate with that. We've been in those painful situations maybe you're in one of those painful moments this morning or this week. And so this is a, a reminder from the Lord of how do we deal with this? How do we put this in context to who our sovereign God is? How does the pain and the suffering in my insignificant life how do I put that in context with who God is? But our nature is that when we in these really dark spots, we tend to do the opposite. We close up and we close down. We try and fix things ourselves, but we fail. Instead of looking upwards to the Lord, we look inwards. And... Uh, we shut down. We, we try and push the hurt down, but we actually just make it more. We try and ignore the evil, but it doesn't go away. So we start saying to ourselves, I'm sure the Lord's not listening to me because I'm stuck in this dark place And I'm not seeing His deliverance. You know in your heart that you cannot stop sinning. So you start saying, well, maybe the Lord's just got over forgiving me. Maybe I've reached my 110,000 limit or 150,000. We're saying, surely the Lord has got more important things to do than to worry about what's happening in my life. Surely he's got the explosions on the sun to sort out, to make sure the heat's correct. Everything else in the universe, this is how what we tell ourselves when we are in this dark pit, when we are overwhelmed. But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, men and women, I hope I'm covering everybody This is a massive, massive, big lie. And this lie is hidden in the darkness of this place that you get to. And it's our sinful flesh that wants us to believe it. But it's Satan also whispering in your ear that you can let go of the Lord's promises. Because that's what he wants for us. He's looking for an opportunity to attack and devour So what is this lie? This lie waits in the dark place every time any one of us goes into it, this lie is there. And the lie is that your sin and your weakness is too significant for the Lord to forgive. Whatever you have done, the Lord can forgive a lot, but in my case, it's a bit different. That's what we tell ourselves whatever we've done or this sickness that I'm struggling with, it's just, in my case, for some reason, you convince yourself the Lord's mercy and His grace is not bigger than your problem. That's the lie we all fall prone to. But we see here that David has suffered from that lie before, and he's learned. David knows the antidote for that lie. And he sees the truth of Jesus, the rock, the firm footing that he has. Jesus says in 1 John 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. And he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's his mercy and his grace. It doesn't say if we confess in a specific way. It doesn't say that if we confess, he will be faithful and just in a limited way. It's unconditional. We tend to measure the Lord's mercy and his grace in measurements that we understand. So, for instance, mercy. We can forgive others the first, the second, the third time, but if they are unrepentant, very quickly our mercy turns to judgment. So, well, if he doesn't want to change or listen, he has to feel. So, we turn our mercy, our forgiveness, is limited and so we think the Lord is the same as we are limited in our grace we can give some good things but as soon as you see unthankfulness for what you've given what do we do we take back we stop giving that's our idea of grace limited our God is unlimited in his grace And now we'll see that David kind of shifts into another gear as we go into verse 14. So he's come from understanding his dilemma, from being overwhelmed and pleading for the Lord, have mercy and come quickly. And now in verse 14, may all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back. In disgrace, may those who say to me, aha, aha, and that is just a saying, meaning, now we've got you. So that line reads, for those who say to me, now we've got you, be appalled at their own shame. So the evil that's been sitting there waiting to entrap you as a Christian, because you tried to do the right thing. And when you fail, they are there to say, Now we've got you. Look at what you're doing. You're supposedly Christian, but look, look. And David saying, May they be appalled at their shame. And verse 16, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. So within two verses, David goes from Lord, please come and help me to now declaring victory and praising the Lord. So do you see David starts praising and exalting the Lord even before his problem is solved. He's still in the moment of his problems. He has just presented his problems before the Lord. But he's moving to Okay, I know what the solution is. I'm praising the Lord because I know he's going to act. I've got this trust and I've got this hope. So David is essentially back in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. When you're in your trouble, that is your waiting patiently, period. But David is not just waiting. Now we are seeing what David does while he's waiting. He declares victory. While he's waiting and while he's presenting his problems before the Lord, he starts declaring victory. May all those who want to take my life be put to shame. They're still trying to take his life, but David's already declaring, the Lord's going to solve this problem for me. So it kind of feels like The psalm could finish here at verse 16. And it would still be a great psalm. It finishes with saying, great is the Lord. And we'd still get all of this teaching and insight into the heart of David and how he approaches the Lord. But to me, verse 17 probably reveals another layer or it peels away another layer for us to understand What's the heart of of David and what's going on? So, verse 17, But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. And so remember, this is coming from the king, David. Doesn't those words just bring up Majestic images of King David. But King David, from his lips are coming these words, I am poor and needy. May you think of me, Lord. This is after the Lord has helped him to slay a giant. And keeping him safe through King Saul pursuing him. So why? Why is David saying this last verse? Why is this last verse even recorded here? I think it's there for us to realise in what hard condition we need to come before the Lord. If there was any doubt that David had pride in his heart, this shatters it. If there was any thought that David deserved more because he was the king, this shatters it. And, and because his heart condition is correct, David understands that the Lord is sovereign. And what does it mean for the Lord to be Sovereign. David understands that it's nothing that he has done that would make the Lord decide to have mercy on him. The Lord's mercy is totally up to him. It's not dependent on the problems that you have. It's not dependent on the successes that you have. Mercy is mercy. So the psalm takes us on this incredible discovery of how it helps us to systematically work through remembering the Lord, remembering all the works that He's done, remember the first few verses, and then remembering gives you trust, trust gives you hope, hope gives you the ability to wait patiently, But the added benefit is that this process helps you to get your heart in the right condition. It helps you to have the right perspective of the God that you are calling on and that He's sovereign. So David uses this process and he shows us that he spends nearly 10 of the 17 verses just remembering and praising the Lord for His goodness. And the last seven verses he brings his supplication before the Lord. But that results in a position where he his supplication comes from a position where he understands who he is and he he understands who God is. So he's not saying I am poor and needy because he feels sorry for himself. That's the other trap we fall into. We like to be artificially humble. We say, oh, we, I'm not worth it. But we're saying it from a looking-at-yourself perspective. David's not looking at himself at all here. He's saying, I'm poor and needy because he's looking at God. And he's seeing the greatness of God. And he understands the sovereignty of God. And that's why he's saying, I am poor and needy. He's saying that not because of his problem. He's saying that because he knows and understands who God is. So David, in this psalm, is underlining the mercy and the grace of our God. He's declaring God's greatness in verse 5. He's declaring his faithfulness and his love in verse 10 and 11. He's declaring his mercy, also in verse 11. And he emphasizes the grace of our God in verse 16. And the effect is that it puts David's current position in perspective. So whatever current position you are in this morning, or have been in the last week, this is how you put your successes and your failures into perspective. When you have problems and, and struggles, when you see the Lord for the sovereign God that He is, how do you get out of that pit? How are you lifted out? By the very nature of who God is, by understanding His mercy and that He gives it freely. So spend time giving thanks to the Lord For what he's done in your life. However long or short, these lives we live is miraculous. And the Lord, the Lord's hand is evident in every second of your life. Take time to take that apart and understand that even in your struggles, the Lord is blessing you immensely. God knows your struggles as he knows every hair on your head. And David says his sin is like the hair on his head. So David is actually saying the Lord knows everything. He knows about the 110,000, the 150,000. There's no number that the Lord does not know about you. Your sin is never bigger than the Lord's mercy. The work that our Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross, his mercy will cover whatever trouble or sin that you have. There's nothing that can withhold you from the grace of our Lord Jesus. And the same for suffering. The Lord's grace is bigger than any amount of suffering that you're going through. So no matter what we have done or what troubles we're going through or what tests is ahead of us the Lord's mercy and grace because of what Jesus has done on the cross is available to us and he says he gives it freely he saves He's the one that will lift you out of the pit. So what we are tested by is our faith and the lies that we tell ourselves to make God smaller. So one thing we can take from Psalm 40 is that our God is sovereign and that it's only our Lord Jesus Christ that listens when you call and it's only our Lord Jesus Christ that saves when you are in trouble. Amen. And I ask you to pray with me. Our almighty God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again that the truth of your word can speak to us. Lord, we we praise and thank you for all the wondrous deeds you have done. Lord, as a congregation, we have only in the last year been through the uncertainty of moving from one location to another. Lord, and in that we had so many fears and uncertainties, but you so wonderfully brought us to this place. Lord, in every day we go through troubles and you you rescue us. Lord, help us to remember all the great works and that we can trust in you. And that because of this trust, Lord, we can have expectant hope that you will always be the same. Lord, thank you for the realisation that the troubles that we have, it's not in our ability to get out of it, but the answer is with you. And coming before you humbly, Lord, we praise that you that you be with everybody this morning that that is suffering, that is in pain. Lord, may you bless us with the faith. To lift up our hands and declare victory in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.